Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This podcast is recorded on Noongar land. We'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land and extend that respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and their elders who are listening today. We respect their spiritual relationship with their country. Have you ever wondered exactly what it is that that married man found so appealing about paying for it? Or watched the murder doco and thought, how can that monster's mother still love him? Welcome to To Be Frank, the show that invites you to step inside the world of Constance Hall as she explores the most interesting topics and people from all over the world with no BS, no filter. Now your host, Constance Hall, and co-host, Claudia McLeod. Hello and welcome to To Be Frank. We have a very special guest joining us today with an interview that I've wanted to do for the last three years. Her name is Dr. Lucy Hone. She's a best-selling author, a highly sought-after public speaker, and she's considered one of the biggest experts in resilience. When everyone hears the word resilience, I think we all hear a lot of buzzwords, a lot of like popular lingo, popular culture lingo. And as a result of it becoming really popular, it then got a bad rap. And now we, we just kind of hear the words blah, blah, blah. But what happened was I was giving a TED talk, which was super lame in comparison to Dr. Lucy Hone's TED talk. <laughs> And I was listening to about 10 TED Talks that day. And yes, I love the behavioral sciences. And I knew that I'd love this TED Talk because it was called The Three Strategies for of Resilient, Resilient People, something like that, I think. And so I knew it would be really interesting because I love, I love things that are sort of broken down into simplistic formats like that. But what I wasn't expecting was to be so moved by her own personal story now, she's not just a doctor, she's not just a researcher and a public talker, she's a woman and a mother, and she's been through something that I don't think many of us could really fathom unless we've been through it. It's probably my biggest fear. Is it yours, Claude? Absolutely. Of course. Um, I won't give away her story, but I will jump straight into the interview and I really hope that you get something out of it. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us. I am such a huge fan of yours. I said in the intro that I went to New Zealand to give a TED Talk and you don't want to listen to all the TED Talks on the day, do you? Because there's a lot and it's a lot of information to take in. I was particularly interested in listening to yours because I do love the behavioural sciences and I think that even the heading, it seemed like something I could grasp, three you know, when you, when you give a number of a, a list of things, three things, and I was like, okay, this is what I need to hear about resilience. And I wasn't expecting to be as like blown away. Your TED Talk went crazy. Were you surprised at the success? I think as it had how many downloads or views? 
over 9 million across platforms now. Now that's incredible because I've given lots of short videos on Facebook that go like a bit crazy, but YouTube to get that many, you know, just to put it in perspective, guys, I think was it the 20 in the top 20 of all time? TED Talks. In 2020, it was the top 20, yeah. In that COVID year where everyone was going stir crazy and looking for tips on how to be resilient, then they found my work. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was um, writing this interview, I'm just going to be really frank with you. I was umming and ahhing a little bit about your work and what you do is so credible that it stands on its own. I thought that people that have been through something terrible like child bereavement would actually sort of, even though you have the credibility, but they would actually relate more or be more inclined to hear it from someone who's been there. Do you find that people are just trying to get your story out of you because it's like trauma that will move people? You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to come across disrespectful at all by talking about your story. Honestly, as you can imagine, I think a lot about talking about our story and I talk to my husband a lot about it, about are you still okay with this? I don't want to feel like we are dining out on our beautiful daughter's death. There is a bit of voyeurism in there that people just cannot believe that, A, that we are both so open to talking about it. And this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to any parent, isn't it? And so people are fascinated. There's a ghoulish is there? You know, I think like you, I don't know, I ponder about this, but actually where my husband's always really amazing is he says that people take you more seriously because not only have I got the scientific background and I've worked with thousands of people all over the world, you know, for a decade now, but knowing when, when I share that story that we lost Abby in a tragic car accident, I think it, just makes it all very real for people and they just believe that I kind of am the real deal that I've really had to I've done all the training all the publishing the helping other people the professional stuff and then bloody hell I've had to work out does it work for us in our darkest days so I think there is a sort of a, a magnetism about that I've been looking at your Instagram and you were talking about how different people grieve in different ways and have different styles of grieving. In a partnership or with children, how do you get through that if you've got opposite styles of grieving? Such a good question. We run all these online grief courses and that is one of the most powerful learning outcomes that I think our participants get mm. is that by being in a live group talking about death and grief, they really start to see in very real time that everybody grieves differently. And we also have a lot of couples come online as well. And that really helps them see that we all grieve differently. And it's not fair to say that men and women grieve differently and there's a black and whiteness about that. But I think it is fair to say that some people are emotional grievers and some people are instrumental grievers. You know, for some people, they want to just pound the pavement or they want to go and mow the lawns or bake or whatever it is. And for other people, they just want to talk and talk and talk. Trevor, my husband and I, he is the emotional, open, yappy griever. <laughs> I'd say this if he was here. And actually, 
I'm kind of quieter and I just wanted to get out and be in nature. And if I, if I could have abandoned everything and walked for a year, I would have done. I couldn't, so I didn't. But, um, so we're all different. And I think that is really helpful and validating for people to understand that. Yep. So you've got to respect the other person's difference. And not get angry. Sometimes I feel like I want to get angry at my partner, even though we're only talking about little things, but I'm like, you don't care. Like, obviously you don't care, but he's not as, you know, emotional as me. And, and I guess he's caring in his own way, or maybe not, who knows. <laughs> Something else that I have <laughs> really weirdly been curious over is what is your husband like? I was wondering about him because, you know, you bring him up in your TED Talk and I just think you're, you know, incredible and an incredibly stoic woman. And I was wondering if your husband is also super strong and professional or is he like a house husband? <laughs> <laughs> I love that you've asked me that. I think you are the only person that asked me about <laughs> Yes, husband. <laughs> yes, yes, right now I'm delighted to say he is. <laughs> he hasn't always been. Um, so he was. He won the Builder of the Year Award in New oh. Zealand in 2020, the Craftsman right. of the Year. So he's been an architectural builder for the last wow. couple of decades. And he finally got to lockdown and was like, I cannot do this any longer. Pretty stressful job. And so he stopped doing that. And so now he is my house husband. Fantastic. And, yeah, yes, he does bring me, we've got grown up kids. So he brings me food at my desk and he, yeah, he'll even drive me around. <laughs> kind of perfect. That's great. Yeah. So, but, but you actually didn't want to know that. You wanted to know, um, is. No, he, I did. But is he heroic and stoic? We wouldn't say either of us are stoic. He's the only person who would actually say, that I'm not very brave because I've got all this outward bound stuff in the last couple of years. So everyone thinks that I'm this really like gung-ho, scared of nothing. I'm so scared of so many things, Um, (laughs) particularly outward bound. I just seem to like to put myself in positions where I'm really terrified. I I get that. And while you're doing it, you're saying to yourself, why do I keep doing this to myself? Why? Because it's a thrill and then you do it and it's, it's the, you know, the feeling afterwards, it's, it's addictive. And actually, do you know why? As soon as I really think about why, I do it because I want to live because I've had too many people die. Oh, yeah. All honesty, it has created this burning quest in me to see as much and do as much, just be out there in the beauty and awe-inspiring brilliance of the planet as much as I possibly can. Was it 2012 that you lost Abby? 14. 2014, who was so beautiful, by the way. I saw pictures of her and I was, wow, Um, she looks just like you. And (laughs) when that happened, did your husband respect you having all of this knowledge or was he like, no? (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. No, of course not. We're a real marriage. Why would you respect (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. I, I, to be fair, I do respect his building, and I, but I don't want a part of that. He definitely <laughs> respects my knowledge now. At the time, did he respect it? Yes, he did respect it. But in all honesty, and I remember one of our children, our middle child, Paddy, one day said to me, no disrespect, mum, but I don't use any of your stuff. <laughs> you know, I just, yeah, I mean, they're pretty real, yeah. my family. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I do also believe that people watch what you do more than what you say. Mm-hmm. And, um, so true. I'd hazard a guess that our boys are pretty like us. Yeah. Um, I'm so proud of them. They're 
awesome men now. They're 23 wow. and 25 and they're oh, empathetic. Give us some tips on raising awesome men. Love them, be there for them um, and be the askable parent, you know, the parent that they're not afraid to ask questions of. Yep, amazing. I've always tried to be that mum. I've had five biological kids and I kind of thought that I'd nailed parenting, you know, like I consider my kids pretty resilient because I consider myself pretty resilient, but then I don't know if that's just something I've told myself. Then I had this one child, Rumi, who is now eight and he kind of showed me that I hadn't nailed a fucking thing. Like he came along and all of a sudden if I only had him and you were a teacher, you would think I was the worst <laughs> parent in the world because he's ADHD, he's been diagnosed with ADHD and um, and suspected dyslexia, but he gets these like angry spells and he doesn't socialise very well. And I know when I told some of our listeners that I was going to be interviewing you, a lot of people wanted to know, I'm not a toughen up kind of mum, but I do put my kids and, and think, my kids can handle more because they get better because of it and my kids are great. But then with Rumi, I couldn't use those tactics and I was wondering if there is a way that you, and he's got no resilience and I think that might be his main problem. If he's at school and someone says he's not good at something, he'll scream and run out and just hang out in the garden and not talk to anybody. He doesn't have any ability to just get up, but you can't give him resilience because anything that you sort of I hate to use the words put him through, but anything you do to try and build that, he just crumbles and falls apart even worse. So he's finding it harder to learn emotional regulation. Yes. And that's, of course, true of lots of kids. It's, you know, across the spectrum here. And so, of course, some find it harder than others, but it doesn't mean that he can't and won't learn over time. And so I think it then becomes even more important to find the strategies that work for him and for you to watch what works for him and really help him remember that. So if you ever see anything that works, then make sure you make note of that. in on that. And then go back yeah. and remind him of that. It might be some kind of, what's that, that five senses thing, you know, about name five things you can see, four things that you can hear, three things that you can smell, two things that you can touch, and one other thing that I can't remember. <laughs> and, you know, so that works with some kids. He needs to learn his de-escalation tactics. And that's specialist training. So that's actually not my bag either. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but really that is what it's all about. And some of that trauma-informed parenting and trauma-informed care is would be worth looking at. Because even if he hasn't got any trauma, that's the kind of specialist field on de-escalation. It does behave like a kid who's been through trauma. I find it quite embarrassing because, you know, I listen to podcasts and people are saying these sort of ADHD outbursts usually come from like a lack of connection with a mum. And <laughs> I find myself pulling up all these photos of me and Rumi when he was a baby. I'm like, I breastfed him. I swear we hugged a lot. You know, kids, they like to throw you, don't they? <laughs> they do. They like to challenge you and remind you that you're never perfect. And none of us want to be perfect anyway. Yeah. So one more question on the kid front. If you've got a child that you know, it's not a neurodivergent issue, but they're just very resistant. I have a child that is very glass half empty and I've been practicing doing affirmations with her after I watch your TED talk. So in bed at night, we do three. She will not say one positive thing. And it's gotten to the point the other night I tried tickling her and I got her really sort of laughing and then she finally said one. So we've started just doing one, but it is a real struggle for her to think of one 
positive thing? Do we just keep at it? Oh, Give no, me some tips. Because it sounds really annoying. <laughs> Actually, if you li- really listen to my TED Talk, I'm not a big believer in three good things. It was a study that was done by Marty Seligman and co that showed that those people who were managing to focus their attention and recall three good things that happened in their day did have less depression and high levels of happiness over a six-month period. That's the cohort that were there. If you ask me to do my <laughs> daily blessings, I, I just squirm. So, But there's <laughs> different language, different language you can use here. And in my TED Talk, I talk about being really aware of where you focus your attention. So I think, you know, find some better language for her. Did you say mm-hmm. it was a... Yeah, you know, you can just say what was your favorite moment of school today? And actually go with the answer. It doesn't need to be, you know, mm. a best academic moment. Yeah, anything. Might, yeah, anything. The moment that I ran out of the classroom. Yeah, lunchtime. <laughs> lunchtime is my favorite yeah. part. I think, you know, just tuning in over time into what went well, what's still good in your world when you're struggling with stuff, who was there to help you when you fell down, And that's what I mean by choosing where you focus your attention. And this is strengths-based parenting. And for all of us, I am definitely wedded to strengths-based parenting, to focusing and noticing and applauding and drawing your attention to the good stuff, to the constructive. And that's not toxic positivity. It's not about ignoring the challenging or diminishing the challenges. It's actually just going... Amongst all of this shit, there are good moments. Mm. Am I noticing those too? And Mm. so, you know, with our children, it is so important to notice what you do like about them, what is going well, (laughs) what they like, who they like, all of that. My beautiful sister has a Down syndrome nephew. My nephew, he's now 26. He's kind of famous, Rufus. Um, Anyway. (laughs) And can we look him up? <laughs> you definitely can look him up. We'll come back to that another time off air. But um, he's truly gorgeous. And she was such an amazing strengths-based parent. Aww. You know, It was yeah. always about what he could do, yep. who yeah. did like him. And they've just continued to do that throughout Aww. his life. So, That's you know, interesting who did like him because I find that with Rumi, he doesn't have any friends. But, you know, some kids actually look up to him because he's quite wild and brave. And so if I can focus on that, but what you were saying before about, you know, sort of bringing it into your natural life with the positivity, it reminded me that when I was watching your talk, Lucy talks about when she was in her darkest moments and she was asking herself, is this going to help or hinder me? I remember being on stage once and a woman sort of stood up and she was talking and she said she was asking a question and it wasn't really a question. She said that she had just lost her daughter a week ago to an asthma attack and she said the first time she'd left her house she hadn't been off her daughter's bed, off her daughter's pillow and it broke my heart. She said she was just smelling her daughter. It absolutely broke my heart because we can all relate to that and when Lucy talks she said that you spend a lot of time looking at photos and and crying over them. And I've done that a lot in the past, you know, like when I lost my dad, I'd put on the music that would make me cry. Also, Lucy says, you're asking yourself, is this going to help me or hurt me? And I remember looking at my husband and saying, I do this naturally. Like I didn't realise that I did it, but I do often, you know, if something really bad's happening, I will focus on the other thing. And then if the bad thing doesn't end up happening, I ended up so excited about the other thing that 
I don't need that. Do you know what I mean? I think that's kind of part of my, yeah, resilience on an obviously much different level. Do you find that some people just want to be there in that moment? They just want to be down all the time? An observation I would make is that lots of people are really scared of negative emotions and then some people fall into them and can't find their way out of them. Mm. And so the people we work with most are people who have accepted that the loss has occurred However, shit, you know, it's not what they wanted. It's not what. And how long wanted. does that take? Sorry to interrupt you. Also, for me, that happened in the moment the policeman told us. Wow. Wow. So you do, should we just clear up for a moment? There are no five stages of grief. That's okay. bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, she created those five stages while observing people who were going to die. So they were about anticipatory grief. Wow, that's so different. Grief, really? But also actually a really small cohort. So from a science perspective, they've been discredited and we all need to do the world and the grieving a favour and get rid of them now because they actually do more harm than good because people expect Repairing, to go yeah. stages mm. and then get to acceptance. And like I say, we got to acceptance in that first minute. I can promise you all four of us went, oh my God, that's happened. And I remember in that moment, it was like my life path split. And I just remember thinking, I never saw that coming. Here is the journey that we now are forced to go down. And somehow we are going to survive this loss. That is your mission right there. Honestly, it was like within the first two minutes. And so acceptance came fast for us and obviously helps because you've got to that point where you're like, okay, I accept this has happened. What am I going to do next? And this is a very action orientated, solution focused mindset, you know, that some people do have more than others. Some people Mm -hmm. are more diehard. Yeah, absolutely. But the reality is, and with our resilience training, we can train people, even the most diehard pessimist to spot their naturally reflexive pessimistic interpretation of events and go whoa actually how accurate is this are there some alternative explanations for what's going on here am i reading this situation accurately yeah so Mm -hmm. yeah it is possible to get people to really learn to dispute their automatic negative thoughts and you can get children to do that but of course it takes time you know one of our kids used to be quite negative and pessimistic and now is not at all so yeah, people change over time ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So can I ask you, when you say that like you guys accepted it straight away, from someone who hasn't had this experience or this lived experience is... What does it look like when someone doesn't accept it? Because obviously they're not going to be saying, no, 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 she hasn't died, this isn't us. How does it present? A bit of avoidance, you know, or just denial. I think that's where those Elizabeth Kubler-Ross 
five stages still get perpetuated because some people can kind of be in that bargaining denial kind of, oh, you know, this hasn't really happened. But I mean, in reality, I don't get to see those people because I get to work. People who come and want to work with us. I was going to say, they want to be there. That's why they're, yeah. They want to yeah. live. I mean, yeah. it's a choice. Exactly. You're going to sink or swim. Do you find that parents who have had other kids as well, do they cope better because they have to? Yeah, but honestly, I'm interviewing somebody who's been in one of our courses and we're just going to do a kind of summary session together because she has said she's a mother of an only child and her daughter suicided mm. and she has said that doing our course changed her life and so I'm going back to have another chat with her and to discuss and dig deeper into how it has helped. Yeah. But essentially I know from very brief comments, we have a Coping with Loss Facebook group and the people on that, and she often comments on that, and she's choosing every time she's desperate or lonely, she is determinedly choosing to reach out and get help because she wants to survive. So whether that is for her partnership, her marriage, you know, the work she does, that I will find out more about. What's your most inspiring story, like someone that has overcome so, so much that you've worked with? We just do have. Only this year I've worked with two people who were grieving, one of them for six years, one of them for eight years. And one of them particularly was living not, away from her family who were living in another major metropolitan area. And she hadn't been back to that area, hadn't been to see her family, had just completely disconnected and was effectively using avoidance to enable her to manage. But she contacted me and came on the course because she said she realized that her life was shrinking. And so we spent time talking about how what would have to happen for her to go and visit just the area to start off with, just to go back, drive back on that motorway to go back to that city. Because you can break down those big goals, can't you, into smaller, more manageable bite-sized chunks. So that's what we did with her. And she eventually managed to get through all of that and had family for Christmas so it must have been, no, she had them for Easter. So that's what it was. And actually invited them, one of them, to come and stay at her place. So she's visited the city. Now she's had a family member to come and stay at her place. She put some rules around that, didn't have them in the house, made sure they were staying somewhere else. You know, just all these little step-by-step -step ways of re-entering the world. So often we talk to people about, it's about relearning to live in this foreign landscape, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it took you a long time to learn how to live in the world anyway. Mm. It's, and it took you a long time to love that person. So, of course, it takes time to navigate that re-entry. Yeah. Before I forget, is that Facebook group that you've got? Because I was very surprised when I posted something recently and I think a woman in the comment sections talked about how she had lost a child and there were so many other people. You forget that these people are, are, are in your community and I was thinking that would be so helpful. for. Is, is that a public, can, they, can anyone join it? Can you tell us what it is, what it's called? Yeah, so it's called Coping with Loss 
what I love about it is we thought about making a Facebook group because, so you, are you aware of my book that's called Resilient yes. Grieving? Right. Yes. So my book- It's a bestseller. Uh, bestseller yeah, book. huge. It, was, <laughs> it is huge. And I get beautiful emails from people all over the world and even letters, long form letters. Um, anyway, you know, and Instagram messages saying, thank you. Your book was the thing that made all the difference. It was wow. the game changer. It was the Bible. I hold it by my bed every night kind of thing. So yeah. I just updated that and that's coming out in July. But because of the book, people kept coming to me saying, please give us more. So <laughs> we thought about setting up this Facebook group. But then I went and looked at the bereavement groups on Facebook, uh, which was the most scary thing I've ever done. They were right. so depressing. Yeah, right. So many people who were stuck that that did a, terrify me and B, galvanize me to think, actually, we do need to create our own group because our work is quite different. We're all about hope, action and belief that you can get through this. We're not about people dwelling in their death story. So people don't even post their death stories in our group. They just get on and say, I tried this, this worked for me. I tried that, ooh, that backfired, whatever it was. It is working beautifully. And I love watching all of those people who have self-selected to be in it now supporting each in other. In a community. I love yeah. that. I love that it's a group that you have made the decision that you want to live and survive this and, and that's why you joined the group, to have that support. As somebody, like, looking in, because I feel like the interview's gone a lot about bereavement, but do you have, feel like your career has done that? Because obviously, you know, you were trained in resilience yeah. and that's where you research are. And then because of this lived experience, I think if I lost a child, you'd be the first person I'd, I'd be hounding you. You'd be like, how does she get my number? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, by demand, um, I have ended up doing a lot of work around coping with loss and it isn't just child bereavement. We work with people who mm. are coping with um, estrangement. Yep. We work with people who I've just honestly received an email yesterday from an 81-year-old who lost her partner of, oh. you know, goodness knows how many decades, um, who I'd just like to tell you that since she did our course has got a tattoo. With oh, I love it! <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. So good. We won Global Awards. Denise is my... Um, co-founder yes, of the Institute. And she and I won global awards for our education work. And we also do workplace wellbeing training. We have a whole division that does that. We've, you know, licensed other people to do that. Yeah, we do various. Hang on, what did she get the tattoo of and where? He's I'm actually him. not going to tell you any more because she asked me not to <laughs> Fair um, share Fair enough. with the group. <laughs> but I, think, I feel like it's anonymous enough and she's probably not going to be on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> With saying that, pretty amazing woman, though. I was so yeah. impressed that she came and navigated all of that. Yeah, Zoom at that age. It's amazing. I often really do worry about the elderly after spending so oh. much of your life with someone there and then all of a sudden there's actually a man that lives on my corner of my street who lost his dog and wife and they used to always be out there. That's why people die of a broken yeah. heart. They just Talking to us every day, it was, hi, how are you, how's your mum? And now it's just him and it just killed. Anyway, I mean, this is part of life, but it's it's a scary part of life. But, yeah, as what I was tr- going to say before until I started rambling and <laughs> I found something else to ask is as someone looking in, I guess you would hear this question quite a lot, but how can we support and help? I know that from my experience, Grief lasts a lot longer than people expect yes. it to. And people are often sort of sick of 
supporting mm-hmm. someone after, you know, and what your expert advice would be on how we can support people. Thank you for saying that because that is such a truism of grief that, you know, one of the myths is that we should take, you know, a couple of weeks off work or something and six weeks on we should be over it. Well, just not true. And I think the thing, best way to view grief is that it really changes you and it changes you forever. And in many ways, in good ways too, because you really learn about what is important to you most in life. So I like to think of six different ways that you can help someone who is grieving. And if you're grieving, these are six different ways of support that you can go looking for. The basic ones are emotional support, you know, the shoulder to cry on, everyone knows about that. The second one, practical support, and everyone kind of knows about that too, you know, bake them a meal, go and take out the bins, go to the school, play with them, whatever it is. The third one is more informational and knowledge. So quite often when people join our courses, they're going to have to sell a house or they're going to have to move cities. And so there can be someone who's really helpful with your kind of property negotiations or going to see the lawyer or talking to the hospital, you know, whatever it is. So that's that kind of informational knowledge. The fourth one is memory. We need people to keep their memories alive. And of course, some people are better at doing that than others. So, you know, to have those conversations, to send you photos, to say their name, all of those things. And then the fifth one is physical support. You know, that actually, I don't know if you guys have ever lost someone, but the first time I really experienced grief was when my mum died in the year 2000. And I used to find myself turning up at my husband's building sites with two children under three, letting them crawl around on the floor because I just had to be physically, I needed his strength and his physical demeanour. And recently, one of our clients was saying that a friend of theirs had lost their husband. And so she went round and crawled into bed with her for the first three nights. So she physically wasn't alone. Okay, so Mm. physical Mm. support. Mm. And then you have that ongoing support. And I think these are all roles that are fulfilled by different people. And quite often in our work, we see the bereaved getting isolated because they're expecting one One or two or three people to fulfill all those roles. So lots of different things you can do. Work out what is your kind of go-to and what your particular strength is and turn up, show up and do it. That's awesome. That's so awesome because I find so many people like just don't turn up because they don't know what to do or say. But if you figure out what your specialty is, I guess, when my husband had his accident, there was a group of like 20 people in a Facebook group. I don't even know where my kids were during that time, but they were looked after, you know, and that was, it was everything. It makes a difference, doesn't it? Surviving or not. But also you then, Constance, have just really demonstrated the fact that it's a two-way street, hey, and you had to be brave and bold enough to let other people take your children. So I think, you know, we had someone just recently say they couldn't come on the course because they couldn't get childcare. I've gone back to them and said, honestly, this is your opportunity it's only three sessions of two hours on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday yep. morning. You know, out, be brave enough to ask someone mm. to come and give a hand because honestly, people are crying out for ways in which they can help you. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. Everyone wants to help you. You're not going to be a burden. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. I feel like I've got a million other questions. We've got to ask you one very frank question, which we ask everyone that's on the podcast, and that is, do you, Lucy, have any tattoos yourself? (laughs) No, and I really, I'm in that long phase of brewing up to one. (laughs) Um, So I, my beautiful son, Paddy, has a fantastic Abbey tattoo just on his upper neck. And so, and I want an Abbey tattoo, but I can't quite decide what. So do you know about our Abbey dots? I did say something about the dots, like very early on in your, on your Instagram. Yes, they're yeah. everywhere. There are like a hundred thousand of them globally. Um, wow. And this is a little dot, actually. This is one of our metal ones, but they're actually, and these are dots on my mug. Go and look them up on Instagram. But dots were put on her coffin and then they were put on people's just put them on as they came into the funeral. And when people came out, they put their dots immediately onto their phones. Mm. And so I'm, I'm, of course, the terrible mother who hasn't got one on my phone when everybody else in my life seems to have them still. You could tattoo a dot. Yeah. So I thought I might get some little, like mm. almost like a little Indian line. Yeah. Dot. I've got dots here. Oh, yeah. Cute. Like yeah. I love dots and, and a few dots here. But yeah. I think, and dots don't hurt. They are very, yes. yeah, you should definitely do yeah, that. Yeah. Because I'm a bit of a, as I say, I'm a bit of a wimp. Um, <laughs> is, that my, is that your only question? I'm almost disappointed. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell you this, but you are actually the first person that we've interviewed. <laughs> And and I said to Claude, let's not tell her because we'll sound really unprofessional. And so we were like, let's have a frank question, some frank questions, but we couldn't last night. We came up with that idea and we couldn't come up with them in time. You know, when you're doing an interview with someone, sometimes the heavy stuff's gone and you're onto the light stuff, but you forgot a question in the heavy stuff. And so if you don't feel like answering this, I totally get it. But in your TED Talk, you talked about your husband and how he wanted to see the man who killed your best friend, your daughter and your daughter's best friend. How did that go down? Yeah, I don't, I don't often talk about this either, so I'm very happy to talk about it. In my TED Talk, I think I use the example that one of the tools I talk about in the TED Talk is, is what I'm doing helping or harming me in my quest to get through this? And so using that question, we were offered a restorative justice session with the driver who went straight through a stop sign at 100 kilometres an hour and just crashed into them and killed them all. So, you know, definitely was in the wrong. And I thought, well, will that help me or will it harm me? Actually, I just don't want to make him, we all forgave him, but I don't want to make him a big part in this, in my headspace right now. So I said no. But Trevor, my husband said, yeah, I actually want to go and spend time with him. I want him to know that I forgive him. And so they went and I remember I was sort of somewhere, somewhere not that far away. He was there for two hours, which was very long. <gasps> two hours. Wow. It was good for him and I hope good for the driver. And So did the driver see any jail time or anything? No. 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 Um, and um, and I would have hated that. He has yeah. three children, wow. you know, almost wow. the same age as ours. And um, he didn't do it intentionally. And I think that is really important. People often ask me about forgiveness. That forgiveness isn't condoning. It's just actually choosing again where you focus your attention and I didn't want to focus it on him. And ruining another family as well would, yeah, just spread that pain. Mm-hmm. How fascinating. I, I'm, your husband's very brave and also very forgiving. You're both such mm-hmm. compassionate people. He's a compassionate man. Aww. Yeah, well, he must be if you chose him. <laughs> I mean, you're not exactly going to go out with someone that's emotionally unintelligent. <laughs> <are you? laughs> 
We all make mistakes at 25. <laughs> yeah, we certainly did, didn't we, Com? No, one, one last question that one of um, Con's queens wants to know. Are men or women more resilient? Yeah, so no answer to that. <laughs> it's really individual. Yeah. And actually, while I'm here, let me say one important thing about resilience, that it, A, it's not a fixed trait that some people have and others don't. It is uh, capacity. You know, it is about the ways of thinking, acting and being that enable you to steer through whatever is facing you. It, so it's massively built from within us, but it's also built between us. You know, we can all help each other be more resilient by asking people about themselves, by increasing that, you know, cultural understanding and empathy and reducing racism and discrimination. Yeah. Every time you do all that, you're enabling other people to be more resilient. Yep. But mm. everyone does it differently. So if you think of it as a stew, we all have these different recipes for our stews you also have a different mm. recipe for what enables you to steer through whatever is facing you. And it's up to us all to find out what works for you, which is where the helping and harming question works. Mm. Do you find yourself ever, when you're in conversation with somebody, sort of like thinking that is their coping mechanism or that is, yeah, yeah you can pick them straight away? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, definitely you can see things like humour. Yeah. Yep. You know, which is a you know great capacity. You can see people who have got a real sort of sense of mission and purpose in their life, and that really helps. People who are well connected, mm. you know, and I don't mean in terms of hierarchy. <laughs> Lots of followers. Yeah. <laughs> and my very last question, I promise, um, <laughs> that I've just remembered that one of our listeners uh, asked me to ask you, which is really interesting. Can you be too resilient? I think you can be too bulletproof and too sort of stoic, yes, because actually people, of course, nobody is beyond help. And we know that one of the standout findings of resilient psychology is that nobody goes it alone. Mm. We really need each other. So I think particularly in the leadership work that I do nowadays, you know, we're really trying to get the modern leader to understand that that kind of heroic leadership, I know everything, I can get through everything, is BS. That actually we all need to be able to be more vulnerable, to be a bit kinder to ourselves, to be a bit less perfectionist. And so, yeah, it doesn't help you if you just think you're bulletproof. And it doesn't help if everyone else thinks you're bulletproof. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like that's happened in my life. You know, people are like, you can just dump that on Con because she just gets up and she just gets on with it. And yeah, yeah, and and I do. You know, you kind of train yourself to do it and then before you know it, you're just having a nervous breakdown. Exactly that. It takes a toll in in the end. So, yeah, to be really careful for that. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Such an interesting conversation. And I really hope that we can have some kind of a headline, you know, that doesn't make people think that, oh, this is going to be a really scary, really dark, you know, really sad podcast because that's what I love about you. You give people hope for life after loss and the Facebook group is Coping With Loss and the book is called Resilient Grieving and it's out in like all the bookshops. Yeah, all online. and You can get it online. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lucy. I appreciate it so much. Awesome. Claudia, I think I have a girl crush on Dr. Lucy Hone. What a woman. I know. She's and, very and Trevor. Trevor. 
what a guy. Oh. Of course she's going to have a guy like that. That's why I was fascinating because I, mm. I do have that girl crush vibe on Lucy. She's so warm yet so smart, you know, like oh. no one would cross her. And so I thought <laughs> what kind of a man? <laughs> but, no, I, I just I'm so grateful that she gave us that chat and, mm. and I, I did actually – well up a couple of times but I didn't yeah but I didn't want her to see that because I wanted her to think I was more resilient and (laughs) (laughs) and also because that's not her that's not what she is about I know yeah yeah, the survival but and I hope lots of the listeners got a lot out of that as well if you are struggling whether it's you know losing a parent I think there's a myth that we should all be okay with losing our parents because we kind of know that that's going to happen but I know I wasn't okay you know I was thinking about people that are grieving before an actual death like I know someone at the moment that's you know losing a family member to Alzheimer's and they're grieving already before they've passed Mm. so yeah there is there is a lot of grief involved and you know I think as well the pressure we put on ourselves to grieve things properly. I know that I have a bit of a funny thing with my friend Tash who died last year Mm. where I wasn't overwhelmed with grief for weeks on end because I knew it was coming Mm. But I and I was strong for her kids and my kids. But at the same time, there is something about Tash that I don't know where to place in my brain now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very interesting. So I'm going to read a book. Same. Thanks for listening to another episode of To Be Frank. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, be sure to click follow. And leaving a review helps others find the podcast. Join us next time as we explore more interesting topics and people from all over the world. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.